everyone. Welcome to Fire the Canon, the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. Today, we're not doing that. We are speaking with author and podcaster Lindsay Kelk. We will be continuing our discussion of Pride and Prejudice in this manner. <laughs> Cut out that pause, Theo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Insert two people talking over each put other. Put something else in. <laughs> Make it better. Well, just put a bleep in it as if you cursed. <laughs> he started doing that recently. It's a little bit concerning. He He's very powerful now. I respect it. <laughs> um, so I'm one of your hosts, Rachel. I'm the other host, Jackie. And I'm Theo, the producer. And our guest, if oh, you'd I, like to. <laughs> and I'm Lindsay Kelk, the guest. Sorry. I missed my cue. Terribly unprofessional. <laughs> well, we're so excited to have Lindsay joining us today. So we've each kind of thought about um, different questions we might like to ask. But of course, you know, this isn't like going to be a structured interview or anything like that. So when we asked you to, to talk to us about Pride and Prejudice, Lindsay, what was your first kind of thought about that? I mean, my first thought was I haven't read Pride and Prejudice since college. Um, so that was my first thought. Uh, and then my second thought was... I like Pride and Prejudice. Let's do that. <laughs> so um, they were, you know, my thoughts. But if you mean my thoughts regarding the book, yeah, it set me thinking. It did make me think about a lot of different things and my experiences of Pride and Prejudice. Because as I said, I haven't read it in such a long time. But it is so pervasive in my world, culturally, that I had like actual, I did have thoughts. So thanks for that, because it's been a rough year. <laughs> And thoughts are not a given. So, What was your first experience with it? Because audience, you can probably tell from her voice, but we are from different countries than she is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the BBC has a very famous adaptation. Yes, I am English. Uh, I live in the States now. And that was my first experience was the BBC adaptation. So mm. I went to a high school in the north of England. I'm from a tiny little mining village. Uh, and I'm just going to say that education was not highly prized where I was from. And I was a big book nerd, as you can imagine, and just like a desperate overachiever who <laughs> was looking for attention. Are we from the same town? Uh, it's, it's entirely possible. <laughs> I think we might be. Jackie's from a farm country. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah, it was, reading wasn't really encouraged. It was just something that I chose to do on my own. And um, because my school was very small and it did not perform especially well, they stopped offering English lit because people were just failing it. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. <laughs> what a strategy. You guys aren't doing well. Let's just not teach anything. Let's just not do it. I just think that my teachers might now all be in government. I'm not sure. Because that just seems to be the strategy <laughs> I've seen repeated through my adult life that I didn't know was an option. Uh, so yeah, we did English language, which was interesting in its own way. And, and I do think that helped me as a writer because I learned so much about the actual language. But it meant that I wasn't reading uh, as varied or as deeply as I would have been if I was on a structured educational curriculum. Like, you know, I wasn't reading classics. I wasn't reading that kind of thing because I'm 17, 18 and I'm clearly not. So I watched the TV series. Uh, I watched the BBC miniseries Pride and Prejudice and loved it and was fine with it but didn't like connect to it in any special way. It was just TV to me. And then my next experience of Austin was actually when I went for my university interviews and I went up to a school just to do an open day and they were like, surprise, we're going to do a fake seminar just so you can see how seminars work, which is a very mean trick to play off an 18 year old. <laughs> and they sat us down and they were like, okay, let's talk about a book that you've all read, 
Pride and Prejudice. And I literally sat in my chair dying. Like I was like, (laughs) okay. And it was a real slap in the face for me because I was, this is going to sound terrible, but it's like, I was the smartest kid in school. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that I was deeply unpopular and it's all I had. (laughs) So I went from being like the kid that knew all the stuff at school to being like the dumbest person in this room because I hadn't read the book. I'd only seen the show. And they came around and asked everyone a question. And I remember it so clearly and this is like 22 years ago and I remember it like it was yesterday and they were just like oh Lindsay what what do you think Pride and Prejudice would have been about if uh it had been written from the perspective of Mrs. Bennett oh no and I just I was like oh I imagine it would be about a lot of hats because it's all I could think of it's all I could think of and the the lecturer was like oh wouldn't it though it absolutely would and I just wanted I wanted to die I was like I've gotten away with this and now I need it to end like now I have to get out of this room that's amazing i mean it's a great answer and our special guest coming up next is that lecturer who asked yeah. you the yeah. question no. <laughs> they're about to jump on the zoom call yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, so that's why you didn't attend newcastle um and no honestly i was like i never wanted to go back to newcastle and i never wanted to look at pride and prejudice again as long as i live and it did in fact prejudice me against all of jane austen's wow. later wow. work because i was so upset and stressed so because out, your pride was injured deeply injured and yet slightly smug because I got away with it. So it was like, yeah, I learned a lot of lessons at once, which is that you can bluff your way through literally anything if you're prepared to give it a try, but also it's probably not worth it. Uh, so that was my first connection to Pride and Prejudice and to Austin. Um, and then other than that was Bridget Jones, without knowing. Like I read Bridget Jones uh, probably before, I, I don't know what the timing is exactly, but around the same time or before the BBC show, I read it when it first came out because I borrowed it from my stepmom. Um, and I didn't know it was Pride and Prejudice. It was derived from Pride and Prejudice at the mm-hmm. time. But now, obviously, that's such a touchstone to the source material. Theo, do you know anything about Bridget Jones' diary? No. <laughs> that was sexist on your part because I also don't know anything about Bridget Jones' diary. Well, but you know about Pride and Prejudice and Theo d- <laughs> didn't know about that. <laughs> Score so on I was going to Sorry. tell you, Theo actually had less experience with it than you did as a teen because he had not seen any adaptations and he also hadn't read the book and he still hasn't read the book, but he watched <laughs> part of the 2005 movie at two times speed. Well, I mean, that seems fine to me. That seems yeah. about the speed at which to watch it. Um, but I realize that's sacrilege to a lot of people who believe that that's the best adaptation and they're wrong, but that's fine. Well, I have to say, I think the reason you never really <laughs> felt that personal connection to it was because you didn't have Matthew McFadden in the BBC no, adaptation. He's, he's Tom. He's Tom from Succession. He will only ever be Tom from Succession. I can't. I'm kind of scared. I haven't rewatched the movie since Succession. Oh my gosh, that's who he is? <laughs> yeah. I just noticed that. I watched it a couple of days ago and I just kept waiting for him to say, you can't make a Tomlet without cracking some Gregs. Uh. All the way through Pride and Prejudice, because Darcy would totally say that. Jackie's face. <laughs> she is so <laughs> horrified right now. Yeah, It's over for you. Because I actually know what you're talking about and I never know anything about TV shows, but this time I'm like, oh my God, Mr. Darcy was that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, he sucked. Yeah. 
And Darcy is just, to me, Darcy is so Colin Firth. And, and I say this again as someone who has like no a special emotional attachment mm. to it. I don't rewatch it. I'm not sat here going like, what? And then he came out of the lake and he's all wet. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, don't, just go watch James Bond. Go watch Daniel Craig. He hasn't even got a shirt on. If that's what you want out of your entertainment. Yeah. He just really does embody Mr. Darcy to me in a way that the 2005 film didn't hit for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we want to talk about the film and my <laughs> feelings regarding it, but we can because we talked about the book at length. I, the thing about the 2005 movie, I really like both adaptations. The thing that I think old Matt did better was he was more awkward to me. He is very awkward. Yeah. That's like the one thing where I'll say that is a point in his favor compared to Colin Firth. Colin Firth never, he seems like a little bit more stuck up, but he doesn't mm -hmm. ever seem like he's just dying because he's so embarrassed. Do you think he thinks that all the time as well? Like, he's just like, yeah, you can boast your way through anything. It turns out I'm just, I make people incredibly uncomfortable and I just was myself. Maybe <laughs> Colin Firth's Darcy also went to Newcastle University and bluffed his way through the interview. <laughs> and now he just is pretty pleased with himself instead of dying inside like I did, because I am the lady. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I to me, mm -hmm. to me, Darcy is this very haughty, prideful man so yeah I appreciate Matthew McFadden's awkward portrayal <laughs> and I love that he found something different in it which it must have been such a hard role to take on after especially in the UK but Colin Firth yeah. really owns that in England to the point where you know he plays Mark Darcy in Bridget Jones's diary because who else is going to do it right. like he is <laughs> Mr Darcy um my issue with 2005s is 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 I am not the biggest Kira Knightley fan and mm -hmm. I did not think she made my Elizabeth my Elizabeth I'm like oh yeah she's definitely second in looks and shit so you know sorry <laughs> yeah that kind of plain girl yeah so she's yeah. super plain and uh just uh, right. very clever and that's definitely the appeal of Kira Knightley yeah but that's again it's all subjective I completely understand there are people who worship the 2005 adaptation and all who sail in her so Theo I wanted to quickly tell you what Bridget Jones' diary is because it seems like we are going to talk about it a few times. Okay. It was like, I think it started as like a series of columns. It was written in the present day. The main character was in her 30s. Like she's in her early 30s, yeah. Early 30s. And she's constantly like making note of how many cigarettes she smokes, how much alcohol she drinks, and her weight. And she's single. I mean, and this is the mid to early 90s too. We should clarify this. Like, I yes. Mean, it's, it yeah. is very funny, but it's like, it's based on Pride and Prejudice, the first book. The main male character's name is Mark Darcy. And I think in the book, she says something like he kind of looks like Colin Firth or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she's upset. Bridget is obsessed right. with Colin Firth because of the Pride and Prejudice. Right. It's deeply meta. It's <laughs> it deeply meta. And in the second book, <laughs> right. she actually interviews... Colin Firth, huh. which was a real issue when they made the movie of the second book, right. because we <laughs> yeah. came really close to some Ocean's 12 Julia Roberts nonsense. <laughs> um, <laughs> when they made the movie, the actor who played Mr. Darcy in the BBC series played Mark Darcy in the Bridget Jones movie. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's what that was. The interview was very funny, like when they filmed it. As someone who's face blind, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> Absolutely I just nightmare. I just let it wash over you. It's like Shakespeare. Just, you don't have to understand it. You just have to let yeah. it happen. You know, I actually was thinking that, like, I felt that this novel, and I, I'm not as familiar with other Austen novels as you guys are, but I, I feel like it is sort of Shakespearean. Like, there's all these little 
workings behind the scene and you don't realize until later like the complexity of what the different characters are getting themselves into and Mm. you know like mr darcy paying to have lydia married to wickham like yeah a lot happens off the page um in pride and prejudice which is always so interesting because we're so used to when i think about pride and prejudice the thing that i find so fascinating about it which honestly relates back i'm not just going crazy um (laughs) if it were published now and now we're then Mm -hmm. stick with me like it would have been considered like contemporary women's fiction it's a book by a woman written about the lives of women and her family members and her friends and their romantic entanglements and their ambitions and their you know lives at large and so much of it like you say happens off the page so much of it happens through letters so much of it happens through hearsay so much of it happens through oh this person told me this thing and this gossip Mm -hmm. got back to me this way and you only find it out after the fact And so much of what we're told now when you're writing contemporary, especially commercial fiction, is you don't really want that to happen. You want to keep your reader present for everything. You know, it's the literal, it's the literal opposite of show don't tell. Mm. Like Pride and Prejudice has so much telling. There's a whole bunch of telling, but it works because it's so smart and so funny, I think. Is, is how they manage to make it work because it gets you in the feels because you're so surprised that things have <laughs> happened that you didn't know about. Right. And I just think, I think that's really fascinating about it that it takes those conventions and um, doesn't care for them. You know, whenever somebody proposes to someone or confesses their love for someone, except for the first time that Mr. Darcy proposes, you really don't get to be in the moment. Yeah. And when Collins does. And Mr. Collins does You're as well. really in the moment for Mr. Collins. Yeah, <laughs> you've got no choice on that one. That yeah. I mean, I feel a little bit of, not sympathy because he's just a turd but like (laughs) I feel for Mr Collins because he's a product of his time you know like it's interesting to me that he was considered a figure of fun even back then because he's such a classic cad now you know like romance cad romance Mm -hmm. book that he's just like oh I'm coming in I'm the heir. I'm the one who's in charge. You're all going to listen to me. I'm going <laughs> to mansplain at you. Is this the first noted <laughs> mansplaining that Mr. Collins is like, let me explain to you how things go? Oh, it might be. Still now, he's still such a rich seam to mine comedy from and to roll your eyes at him. And it's just, hilarious. No, Mr. Yeah. Collins. No. <laughs> I had trouble feeling bad for him just because he doesn't suffer at all for his ignorance. Like, he has no idea and he's happy as a lark. I think the portrayal in the 2005 movie is, is much more sympathetic. I think Tom Hollander does a good job. I love Tom, Tom Hollander. Yeah. When he's holding the little flower and smelling it. Yeah. And I think it was an interesting choice to me that they chose Tom Hollander to play him, who is a man of shorter stature. And like, you mm-hmm. know, it's like without, they didn't use that to make fun of him. They used his shorter stature to create empathy for him almost. And that was part right. of his character. That's how he carried himself. Yeah. Whereas in the BBC adaptation, he was just repulsive. Like he was just straight <laughs> up. You were like, oh no. Oh, uh, get away from her. Get away from Lizzie. Don't you dare touch her. Like, we will come for you. Wait, how tall is, is Tom Hollander? Tom Hollander is, I don't know his exact height, and I should because I recently I'm also just watched The Night Manager, which is an adaptation of he's a John Barry novel. He's and he's very in that short. too. Yeah. Because it, it, it's part of that story too that he's a shorter guy. Wow. Interesting. That's his made a career of literary adaptations where he plays a shorter gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew McFadden is almost a full foot taller than him. Which that movie did use to great effect when he's trying to talk to him at the ball. And you see them from a distance and it's like this. 
they yeah. make up a difference. <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of work. Like a lot of camera angles are shot to make him look even shorter than he is. Like they, right. they really do play into it. But I did find it interesting mm-hmm. that it wasn't played for laughs. It would have been a really easy, cheap laugh to get yeah. that would have been unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more played that that explains some of his character. It's like maybe he yeah. has kind of a chip on his shoulder because he's been a shorter guy. So he makes up for that yeah. by being quite arrogant. and little Napoleon complex. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It makes him seem more vulnerable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. We didn't explain what Lindsay writes, which <laughs> will make it more obvious why we reached out to her for this book. <laughs> Which is that now some authors have a particular way they like to describe their books. Would you like to describe them to the audience? <laughs> they do. Um, so I usually describe my books as rom-coms. Mm-hmm. I was first published 12 years ago. So when I was first published, we were solidly in chiclet territory, um, mm-hmm. which I don't, I don't take issue with the term chiclet when it's not being used in a derogatory manner because I'm like, Mm -hmm. call it what you want to call it. It's a marketing term. It doesn't actually mean anything. It's a marketing term that groups books and makes it easy for someone to find a thing they like. That's fine with me. Uh, But I know there has been a um, reactive movement against that term because it is regularly used in a derogatory sense, even though I don't Mm -hmm. believe that was its original intention. Um, But definitely rom-coms. I write commercial again I hate saying this commercial women's fiction I write books about humans that someone in marketing said we're going to call this commercial women's fiction and someone in marketing thought that is going to be appealing I mean it rolls right off the tongue doesn't it Uh, (laughs) like oh commercial women's fiction nice yeah Uh, I think rom-com sums it up the comedies about people's romantic entanglements and the lives of contemporary women Mm -hmm. um so that's where I'm at. Yeah. Not dissimilar to Pride and Prejudice, she says, right. shaming herself even as the words come out of her mouth. Yeah. Me and Jane Austen, right there. <laughs> Literary sisters. There's so much natural humor in those kinds of entanglements, right? Like, Exactly. That's the thing. And that's, I think, why it's it can be difficult to not immediately go on the defensive when you are a female author or a woman author or anyone writing books that identify as not a straight man writing books about Mm -hmm. romance if you write books about romantic relationships and you're a a fella that seems to be okay but if you're not uh you have to be immediately slotted into a genre um and again this is largely by the industry not by readers not by people out there and not by other authors well some Um, but to my mind I write books about human beings Mm -hmm. that can be read by anyone and they Mm -hmm. just happen to be about things that I feel passionate about I like rom-com rom-com covers it people know what a rom-com is I read in case you missed it I finished it today oh thank you congratulations for getting all the way to the end where my husband has not so (gasps) (laughs) well I'm unemployed right now so I had a lot of time and Jackie and Theo are not so that's why I'm the one who read it fair enough I described it to them so I was out on the like the back deck reading and one of my cats was sitting there with me I'm not gonna spoil it for the audience but I'll say there's a part where the heroine goes to a dark disco and she is dancing with someone a mysterious person, the lights come up, and when the lights came up, even though I was like, I know who that is, the lights came up, and I literally went, ah! And my cat (laughs) woke up from her nap and looked at me (laughs) and, like, walked away. (laughs) I feel like I've let the cat down now, but, um, no, thank you. That's that's a huge compliment, because, like, yeah, this is another issue with writing rom-coms, and a a criticism that's leveled at them a lot is people like, but they're so predictable, and I'm like, well... It doesn't matter. They're reassuring. (laughs) Yeah, like, firstly, if it's well-written, it doesn't matter that you 
kind of know where a plot is going. I watched James Bond and I, I kind of know he's gonna... Also, yeah. li- life shouldn't be that unpredictable. There you go. And, like, you know, I, di- I didn't watch a Marvel movie and be like, well, they're definitely all going to die. You know, like, right. I, I go into something that is considered genre because, like, I want something out of it. And I think if you go into a rom-com, you're going in to get a, a rewarding, <laughs> satisfying potentially cathartic experience right like you're not going into it right. to be like i hate this yeah. why would you do this to me so the, the anti-rom-com novel would be like she goes into the dark disco lights come up total stranger it's mr collins yeah, yeah it's mr collins and then you never see that character again and there was no payoff right it did no story development and it, it took you absolutely nowhere gets you no yelp from rachel yeah exactly you want yeah. the yelp men and cats would love that but like if you couldn't predict it what would be the point of including the interlude you know like obviously yeah. it has to be someone meaningful or why are we seeing this right one of my favorite pieces of writing advice ever is like what does this scene do? Yeah. Right. Why is this here? And, you know, you can apply that to literally any book. And if you're an incredibly talented, beautiful, amazing literary author who is just creating art on a page, maybe this scene doesn't do anything, except it's really pretty and beautifully written and that's enough. Mm-hmm. But those authors are few and far between. Most authors, every word's got to be doing something. Every mm-hmm. page should mm-hmm. take the reader step further along the journey otherwise you're um probably not very good who was it was it hemingway that said if there's a gun on the wall you've got to use it chekhov chekhov's gun yeah hemingway's gun (laughs) jackie wait (laughs) do it over from the beginning theo can edit that part out so that people don't know you didn't know who it was who was was it (laughs) anton chekhov of chekhov's gun who had the gun on the wall and used it better yeah okay it's gonna be so weird that you said it that way (laughs) (laughs) i say leave it in i mean we all know hemingway also had guns so i mean it's it's not too much of a stretch what was funny is as i was saying it i was like no it's a russian guy why am i saying hemingway witnessing yourself walking off the cliff and you just (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. it's like you walk off the cliff you stay there for a few minutes you're like huh there's nothing under me (laughs) do you feel like that's true of Pride and Prejudice that, you know, at every point you see like where it's leading or do you Um, think it's a little more? It's so hard to judge it objectively because I'm so steeped in it. And I know Mm. the story, even when I'd spoken to you guys and I was like, oh, you know, it's not a book I'm that familiar with. And then I picked it back up and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so familiar. (laughs) Um, But it's still a pleasure to dip back into because it's so well done. Um, I mean, I think you always know that Lizzie's going to end up with Darcy. And to me, that's not. The concern is like, I'm not worried about whether or not the romantic leads of a book are going to get back together when I know the romantic leads are going to get back together or get together. What I want is to enjoy the journey that takes me there. Like, I want it to be like a glass of wine or a bubble bath or like a girl's night out. I want to come away from it feeling uplifted and better for the experience. That's what I want out of a book like this and and about like you know a lot of books that deal with romantic relationships. Jane Austen's not writing books where they don't end up together. Like, I don't know right. if you guys know that. That's not a thing that she does. Um, to me, it's all about the journey. It's how you get from A to B. Um, and right. I I don't take issue with knowing what B is going to be. I just want to know what will happen. I want to be surprised along the way. It was funny to watch Theo kind of come to this live. Is that what you're going to say, At the Rachel? beginning, he literally said, how are they going to get together? I don't know if I want them to. He's like, I don't see how I, this is going to work out. And we were like, yes. <laughs> Yes, that's the best. That's the best reaction. I mean, it's like, 
I've, there's so much for Theo to enjoy in life. Like, there's only one bed. You are like, they yeah! got stuck in a lift. Like, there's so much life has to offer you, Theo, that you're like, where are they going to sleep? And it's like, they're going to sleep in the same bed, you know? Like, I, they I have to sleep in the same bed, but they don't want to. What are we talking oh. about? Bed sharing. The tropes. The, the joyous trope. It's a romantic trope. Okay. The two of them, they're enemies, but they have to go out on a work trip together, and, like, they're staying at a little countryside inn, and there's only one bed, and blah, blah, blah. Love a romantic trope. The tropes, to me, are never an issue. It's, like, how you utilize it and what mm. your original spin is on it. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, the fact that they set up Elizabeth and Darcy as such natural enemies when you, the reader, can see how similar they are, you're like, you guys, I want to mm-hmm. bang your heads together. Um, but that's <laughs> the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. I, well, I was just going to say, when you guys were talking about that trope, my, I had panic deep in my brain because I was like, I missed that part in the book where they had to share <laughs> they that. I don't sure understand that. what they're talking <laughs> oh about. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, when I write my modernized version of Pride and Prejudice, there will be only one bed. Like, nice. <laughs> it'll be magical. I told Jackie and Theo, and it's in one of our earlier Pride and Prejudice episodes, that when I read this book first, I was in, I think it was fifth grade, it could have been even fourth grade, but we were on like a trip to another country and I didn't have enough books, and this was the only one at the secondhand bookstore, and when I was growing up, like, I had been mostly homeschooled, we didn't have cable, all this other stuff. So I had never, literally never heard of Pride and Prejudice before. I'd never seen any adaptations. Wow. And because I was so young, when I was reading it, I I told them that, like, when he proposed to her, I could not believe that it was happening. I didn't see it coming at all. I was like, I thought he hated her. This is unbelievable. (laughs) So when you said, we all know they're going to get together, she did not. I did not. So I went to my mom and was like, did you know that Mr. Darcy was into Elizabeth Bennet? And she said, yes, of course. (laughs) I I want to also add a proviso that maybe that's something that comes with age also. You know, (laughs) like maybe I read Flowers in the Attic when I was very young. And I mean, that book is just a shock all the way along. Oh, yeah. But there were a lot of things that maybe I would have seen telegraphed along the way um, if I hadn't been 11. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's interesting how books change as we get older too, like our experience of, of a storyline changes as we get older. But that is such a pure way to come to it. <laughs> yeah. I was as shocked as Elizabeth was. Yeah, we talked about that experience of like being so young and assuming like oh yes he is looking at me because he hates me that makes total sense yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I still remember on that topic of coming at something when you're a little too young to understand it um my mom to this day insists she did not tell me to read the scarlet letter when i was nine but i swear she did <laughs> she's like maybe you can learn something from this jack you're getting a little too frisky. <laughs> so, but, and I read it and I just remember laughing and laughing and laughing at the scene where uh, Pearl flies up the chimney because she's a witch what? or something. I don't know. I haven't read it since then. I so I don't understand it any happens. better. There's no magic in a scarlet letter. <laughs> what was I what reading? What are you talking Pearl? about? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe someone's imagining her flying up the chimney. Okay, that maybe. Like I said, my brain is still nine in this book because oh, I haven't man. reread it. I want to live in your scarlet letter, the craft crossover. <laughs> fanfic which sounds amazing because i was just giggling and and chuckling my way through this and then you know i grew up and i'm like that was a dark book (laughs) i fully get you i read a horror novel by uh, james herbert called the cottage when i was really little oh no uh because we were on vacation and my parents didn't want to 
deal with me. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but they were like, yeah, sure, read whatever you want. It's a book. How bad can it be? Um, and my uncle had left it just lying around and I would literally read anything that I could get my hands on as a kid. I was a monster and I read this novel and like all I remember about this book is that it, it was set at a cottage in the woodlands and a squirrel, there was a squirrel in it and the squirrel died and then at the end it comes back to life. And I oh. was so happy because this girl, and I had like completely missed all of the horror, all of the nightmarish themes of this like book. Pet cemetery or something. <laughs> just like all the squirrels back. Yeah, and I was sobbing and my mom was like, Maybe you shouldn't read it about they killed that squirrel. And then I was like, well, I have to finish it. And I was like, I'm I'm like dating myself with too much information but like it was before my parents divorced so I was like eight tops I was like seven or eight reading this super dark horror movie and I was like the book I was like good news the squirrel came back and all of my family were a bit like we're just gonna give you a wide berth we're just gonna all take a step back from you for a few days this isn't about the squirrel is it, it really yeah. wasn't um, but that's what I yeah. pulled out of it because I was a child oh it looks like Lindsay might be into necromancy why don't we just kind of step back a little bit that kind of like not being involved in the cultural knowledge of a work it's happened to me one other time which was when harry met sally i hadn't seen it until i was like 23 or something the only thing i absorbed through osmosis was like men and women can't be friends blah blah Mm -hmm. blah and for some reason i thought the ending of the movie is the two of them don't get together and they can't be friends (laughs) And so the whole time I was watching the movie, I'm like, wow, this is going to be a downer. I really like them. I wish they could be together. And then at the end where he like kisses her at the New Year's Eve party, I again, I like shrieked. and I could not believe that they got together. I was so happy. Because the whole movie, I was thinking, like, wow, it sucks that these two aren't going to make yeah. it. And then the squirrel came back. Yeah. <laughs> and then the squirrel came back, and then it flew up the chimney, and <laughs> it was wild. That movie is wild. <laughs> yeah. I looked it up, and it says that the line is, Pearl laughed while she spoke and began to dance with the humorous motion of a little sprite whose next trick might be to fly up the chimney. <laughs> Oh. Again, this is the point. My nine-year-old brain was like, Pearl flew up the chimney. Wow, she flies. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. You yeah, hadn't learned about similes yet, so just yeah. everything is face value. Flying little witch baby. There's no reason why they shouldn't be labeling Hester Prynne with the Scarlet A because she is literally a witch. There's no problem that that doesn't get mentioned again. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's funny. Let's see. Okay, so in your books... I haven't read all of them. I will get around to it, I'm sure. There's so many. Don't <laughs> knock yourself out. Like, there's a bunch. But, um, so Pride and Prejudice, the idea of they hate each other, but it's kind of a misunderstanding. And then they like each other at the end. Enemies to lovers. It's a classic. Enemies to lovers. <laughs> what percentage of your books would you say are enemies to lovers? <laughs> um, it is a small percentage. I'm trying to think. Um, Non-zero. It's not zero, but they're not really enemies. The one I read is kind of enemies-ish. Yeah. Like about as enemies as you can be today without someone doing something terrible. In case you missed it, has a definite um, one side is kind of an enemy (laughs) to the other, but the other just doesn't really care. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So that's a 50% enemy to lover. uh, And it's more just being a baby versus having an enemy she's kind of being a baby and in case you missed it this kind of sounds like me and all my cats they're always being babies like the other they don't care oh it's like it can't really be true enemies to lovers if the other side has no skin in the game right, <laughs> right. like that's right. the issue right. Right. um and then i wrote a book uh called about a girl 
which people are always like, oh, is it like about a boy? And I'm like, no, they just kept asking me what it was about so they could come up with a title. And I, I just said it's about a girl. And that's how it <laughs> got that clever, that clever title. So it gives you an insight into titles. Um, <laughs> that's a sort of a situation where it's, it's, it's an enemies to lovers. But again, it's not necessarily fully enemies because they don't hate each other. There's a very strong one-sided dislike mm-hmm. that turns into a both-sided relatively keen on. I'm not selling my work. <laughs> yeah, it's not a trope that I've relied heavily on. Tropes are a weird thing. Like, I don't really think about them and had never really thought about them because I also think of them as being, like, a solid romance thing. And they're not really. They're in all books. And I also, like, I don't think about my books as being romance novels even though in certain territories and certain countries they're marketed as romance novels because then I get people messaging me saying like there wasn't enough romance why is yeah. she invested <laughs> in her friends and her career I'm like I know it's wild women are, <laughs> women are sometimes um, there are some romance novels I absolutely love but that's why I don't I don't feel comfortable it's not me looking down on romance it's me saying like I don't think I fit that definition because the people that do romance do it so incredibly well mine have got way too much other stuff going on to call themselves pure romance novels mm-hmm. but I have absolutely in the past used there's only one bed mm-hmm. and I was delighted when I realized I'd done it because I didn't realize that after the fact I'm like oh I'm one of those people now I get my badge it's like a girl guide badge <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and obviously I'm not a romance writer at all but I mean they could be so fun to like subvert and make fun of in a way like um at the end of love actually you know where the so the British guy goes to America the and... British guy isn't it like all <laughs> British, British guys? guy the British guy who goes to America yeah <laughs> Yeah, and he meets, like, those four girls in the bar, and they're like, we only have one bed, and we have no heat, so we all have to sleep together. And then it was just like, like, they're just making it obvious and making fun of it, and it was really funny. Yeah, this is it. It can be self-aware, or, you know, or you can take it entirely seriously. I think it's really interesting how it happens every few years, something breaks through out of the genre niche, and you get something, like, right now we have Bridgerton, and it's, like, people outside of romance readers have realized that regency romance is a real thing and it has Mm. been for decades and it has been huge not centuries like well since regency time but it's been so (laughs) successful regency romance is a huge subgenre and sells buckets and buckets and buckets of books but people who didn't know about it think it just happened because of Bridgerton and we saw the same thing with Fifty Shades of Grey that people who didn't read erotica were like wait you're telling me there's dirty books <laughs> there's so many again it's a huge industry but it's everybody's just, mom suddenly got a library card right it's yeah. it's wild yeah. to me that and this is not to knock the establishment and when I say the establishment I mean like very traditionally very male-led industry it's mm-hmm. weird to me there are so many women in publishing but when you look at the top it becomes very white and very male And people suddenly, they don't realize that there are these legions of women authors and women readers Mm. out there bolstering your literary masterpiece that someone paid a million dollars for this one book that's written by a 25-year-old white man in Brooklyn. Because, (laughs) like, you know, a hundred women of every ethnicity all over the world are banging out these incredible novels at such a pace, but with so Mm. much care and attention. And they have a devoted slavish readership that will just devour them and it props up the whole industry without those readers and those authors right there is no publishing you know right like they're right. laying the groundwork and doing like all of the underpinning of the kind of more- and it only breaks through once every five to ten years when you get a 50 shades when you get a bridgerton no one's shocked when gone girl breaks out you know because they're like mm-hmm. oh we yeah. know about the the big 
magic that book one. that sold a million right. copies because mm-hmm. men men acknowledge that you know it's like right. that's an okay book men read that too that's not just for ladies well a girl died so that's great well yeah, she talks about anal sex and eating hot dogs so like that's cool they talk about that in gq <laughs> it is very interesting when you look at it from where the money in the industry actually comes from versus the books that get the attention apparently 80 percent of books sold are sold to women So it's kind of bizarre that a book has to be liked by men as well to get respect because that's just such a tiny, tiny part of, like, (laughs) readership. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've been in publishing as an editor and then as an author now for um, 17 or 18 years. Mm. So, yeah. (laughs) That's all I can really say about that is my experience, and I I cannot speak for the entire industry, but my experience is very much that. Mm -hmm. You just nailed it. Yeah. I'm curious what you just said about, so you started as an editor and then you became an author or were you writing at all before? Um, Well, I was writing for me. Like I've always written, like I was the weird little kid that would just be sat in my room writing her own stories. Like I said, I I read everything and I read everything to the point where there were no more books in the house. So I would write and then I read everything in the library in my Mm -hmm. village. So, you know, then I just started writing my own stories. I just never thought it was a job. Like, you know, right. I'm, again, I'm from a mining village. I went to a, not a great university because I went to a not a great high school. And it was never presented to me as an option. Even working in publishing was not presented to me as an option. So I actually left college. I did an English degree and I did um, my dissertation in creative writing. But even our creative writing teacher was like, none of you will ever make a living through books. <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> um, which was magical. Uh, he did, but we, were, but we would not. It was very realistic. He was very cynical, but he was very realistic so I went into Mm. PR straight out of university and I was a copywriter for publicity um, in in PR to me I was like well I'm still writing yay that's enough but then I through another job I'd had I'd had an experience with HarperCollins is coincidentally my publisher but again it's hugely roundabout story Mm. how I ended up being published there but I had worked with the the, the licensed publishing team on licensed books in one of my first jobs uh, which was um, film and TV and brand tie-ins. And I had worked for a brand that they made books for that brand. It was like a tween design brand in the UK called Groovy Chick, which I know did not really travel to the US, but like a lot of <laughs> kids who were like 13 in 2002 are flipping out right now <laughs> at Groovy Chick. So I'd worked on those books for the brand and the, an opening opened up at the publisher. They needed someone to come in and work on those books. And they knew that I knew how to do it because I'd done it from the other side. Mm. And that's how I got in. Hilariously, I just found my leaving card from when I left the company and the HR person who had interviewed me for that job wrote in my leaving card, like, I remember when we interviewed you and I told them not to hire you. Ha 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 ha. That's the luck. And I, I'd been there five and a half years. So I was like, mm-hmm, thank you. Um, but I didn't fit the model. Like, I didn't fit what worked right. in publishing at that time. Like I say, I, I didn't go to a good school. I didn't have a good degree. I didn't know anyone. My name isn't Venetia. Like, I'm not related to anyone who works there already. And, and it's like everything you hear right. about publishing is true. Uh, Mm. it's very classist in the UK it was very classist it was very exclusionary I had a really hard time getting in and I only got in on the technicality that I'd already worked for the brand and I worked on film and TV tie-ins so I worked on like Shrek books and Marvel Mm. books and Dr. Zeus and Mary-Kate and Ashley was like one of my brands and stuff like that and that's how I managed to get in and then I was there for a few years and saw the reality of publishing which is that everyone's making it up as they go along Mm. and I Mm. saw us turn down books that went on to be massive bestsellers and I saw us pick books that bombed even though we thought they were great and I just thought I should probably try this because it turns out there is no magic Mm. trick to getting it right you just have to do it 
and see what happens. And that's when I wrote my first novel, because I just, I found out it doesn't belong to someone. I found out there is, there is no trick. Yeah. It's just getting the right book at the right time in front of the right people. And it is mm -hmm. such a massive chunk of luck involved in it. So much luck. Yeah. My amazing. old boss turned down Harry Potter and Twilight. Ooh. Oh, that <laughs> wow. has to hurt. And still had a job, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That was the thing. Because right. yeah. you just don't know. Like, it comes in and you read it and five people read it and they go, oh, I don't know, the writing's not that great. She says she's got a seven-book story, but does she? Right. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't there then, but I can see how they had that conversation and they mm -hmm. didn't want right. to take a bet, you know? It was such a punt. And right. Twilight, right. same thing. Like, they were like, ugh. This is, this is gross. And it's, <laughs> but you're not looking at it from the perspective of a teenage girl for whom right. this makes perfect sense. Why don't they bring on a teenage girl? <laughs> child labor. Child labors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> damn it. My ideas always involve child labor. This is why well, I'm not It's partly in because uh, of that and partly because a lot of people in publishing think they know better than the readers. Of course. And I think right. it's really interesting the change we're seeing now mm. and in the way that we're seeing publishing opening up to more people. Publishing, in my experience, historically has been an industry where we tell people what they want to read. So they don't do focus groups or anything like that's that. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <No>. Oh, <laughs> wow. that's adorable. Why not? That's so silly. Sorry. No, no, I know. I know. But they don't. They don't. It's all closed doors. It's all within the power of like five people. I worked in a children's team um, and we had a, pub, a picture books team, a fiction team and a licensing team. And I was on the licensing team mm. and we didn't get a say in what the other teams did. The fiction team don't care what you think is good, even mm -hmm. though our right. books were selling crazy numbers because it was licensing, right. which is its own machine. And I'm like, well, I can tell you this Mary Kate and Ashley book sold 50,000 copies. Maybe you should re let me read your YA teen girl submission that just came in and it's like mm -hmm. nope because that's not what you do it's wow. what I do yeah and that was an attitude for a really long time and I yeah. hope it's changing I think it is I know they're opening them up to more people but we're, we're four people we just need one more to get the, you know the magic number of five <laughs> that it has to look at stuff and we yeah. know to use focus groups bam I can go grab Steven from across the hall <laughs> we could be the best publishing house in the land you could bring in one of the cats it would it would still be better than some of the people I've worked with it's a new podcast yeah just, just focus group podcast <laughs> focus group podcast we would probably have to diversify a little bit more like especially in terms of age if we we're going to be a good focus group we need we need a couple of older white men. Oh, a couple. <laughs> That's the magic uh, bracket that you that you want to get stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> it's for if you're marketing to podcasters. Oh, right. You know, focus group of all <laughs> podcast people. But I think that's so interesting that the sort of randomness of it, I feel like that would be discouraging for lots of people, but it was encouraging for you. Yeah. Right. Like it was freeing, but also terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was weird because it took away the fear of failure. Like I am mm. such an overachiever and I like, mm. I find it really hard to do a thing if I don't think I'm going to be really good at it, which is why I just don't do stuff. Um, <laughs> so I had been so afraid of failing at it that actually seeing the process and knowing that if it doesn't work out, it's not necessarily because you sucked. It's because the machine is, it's in motion and you're trying to jump on. Right. Publishing is like a big giant wheel that is going around and you have to try and jump on and find a slot and <laughs> hold on for as long as you can because no one's really helping you to do it because the second, you know, you're not beneficial to the machine, you're out. Right. It's pretty brutal. And to have seen it from the inside made me less afraid to try 
And I still went about it the same way all authors did. I didn't give it, you know, I didn't just take it into work and be like, let's publish a book. I was in children's work and I wrote adult books. So I still mm-hmm. sent it out to agents. I still put it on submission. It was rejected by like 20 agents, you know, my first book. Like everything about publishing is designed to keep you out. Mm-hmm. Like it is right. designed to put you off and keep you out and maintain the mystique that publishing is this grand magical thing that happens behind closed doors over three martini lunches mm-hmm. and everyone's a genius. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I can't begin to tell you that every single time a book would come in and I would hold it in my hands, I would be like, how, why, and thank you. Because it was a miracle to me that we had actually got a finished copy of a book ever, ever. Um, and I love it. I love I love writing and I, I'm still obviously like more involved sometimes with my publishing than authors might be because I know so many mm-hmm. people at my publishing house. I've been there 12 years, so like I'm allowed to peek inside the machine because I know how the sausage is made and um, I think that's a relief to some of my team and not to others Uh, yeah but sometimes you don't want people to know what's inside the sausage you don't because you want to tell your authors like that you need to have the manuscript x numbers of months to get it printed and you don't want your author to say no you don't (laughs) you can do it in this amount of time yeah Uh, because that's unhelpful and I try not to be that person I really do try (laughs) now I'm I'm wondering if you've noticed this at all since you've been involved in publishing for how like did you say 17 years ish uh I think 17 I yeah it was 2004 oh my god yeah 17 years wow Mm. I have read this from a few places and I've seen it popping up kind of even in book descriptions but fan fiction is having a bigger effect on published stuff now. There are many authors who actually admit like, oh yeah, I do write fan fiction as well, or I used to be a fanfic writer. And you're seeing in book descriptions at the bottom, lists of tropes. So I'll literally see on the back of a book, like in tiny letters, it'll be like, bed sharing, enemies to lovers, fluff, whatever. Descriptions that come directly from the fanfic community. And I'm wondering... Almost like tags, like keywords? Yeah, little tags. Exactly. That's what it is. There's a book that I just bought recently that started... The writer primarily wrote fanfic, but she wrote like an original work that everyone loved her book. And I remember hearing about this fanfic like five years ago everyone's saying this is a really great original one blah 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 and it just got published a couple weeks ago so I'm wondering if you've noticed any of that I have I mean it's interesting because obviously Fifty Shades of Grey is the most famous example that started out as Twilight fanfiction wait it did Jackie you didn't know that? I don't know anything. Stop acting surprised. <laughs> she knows a lot of things, actually. She knows so many things. I know too much about Fifty Shades of Grey. When it first came out, I wrote an article for Marie Claire in the UK. Mm. They wanted to an investigation into erotica and, like, was it this money-spinning, easy thing that anyone could do, which I was, you know, deeply offended by. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were like, that's the premise for the article. Go write it. Yeah. And I took an erotica writing class at Babeland in New York. Where I was living in New York at the time and I went to Babeland, took the class and it was actually really hard because I was like, I can't write this. This is silly. Because you've got to be filthy and I'm English. So that was a stumbling <laughs> block. Um, but yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey was based on Twilight, the original fanfic. Uh, I mean, it wasn't shy. It was like when they mm. go in the red room, it was like, when we're in here, you will call me Edward and I will call you Bella. Like, it was straight mm. up there. And then you look at the similarities and, like, Christian's adopted by a doctor, mm. same as Edward was adopted by Carlisle and his adopted siblings and, you know, his maternal mm. mother and uh, Anastasia, her mother is away and all that stuff. Like, it's all there. It's all still there. Right. They they right. changed it just enough. <laughs> There's no vampire, but that's about it. There's yeah. no vampire, but he's just a traumatized billionaire um, <laughs> which in itself has now become a trope like that is that right. itself you can 
Google, you go on Amazon and look for billionaire erotica or billionaire romance or like damaged right. billionaire, traumatized billionaire. There's Sylvia Day books. There are literal series that are just like yeah. each one is about a different hot billionaire. Also, I mean, you think about it, a traumatized billionaire, I could think of a few right now that probably literally do purchase blood and and, and do something with it in a serum. Like <laughs> Exactly. I'm not naming any names. I'm in California. Like, I know. <laughs> like, there's one and his car factory is not far from here. Um, and I just wouldn't be shocked, you know? But um, Don't kill us. Please don't kill us. He'll come for me first. It's fine. I'll let you know. Send a Tesla drone. <laughs> it's definitely outside my house right like now. Peeking yeah. in. But yeah, it's it's interesting because then we had um, after Fifty Shades, there was the After series. The After series is based on fanfic. Fanfic about a real person, correct? Yes, it's a, it's fanfic about Harry Styles. Yes, it's a, based on a fantasy <laughs> that a girl wrote that she would go to university and meet Harry Styles at her college and they would fall in love and you know. And I'm like, why well, used to write that when I was 15? I wrote a story about me and my friends hooking up with take that not hooking up within the adult sense but like hanging out with right. take that which is like this huge boy band in the UK and I'm like we used to do this yeah. I, you mean I could have made a million um, and I was just writing it in computer lab it became true for uh, the Duchess of Cambridge right like she had a poster <laughs> yes. of Prince William on her wall supposedly in... so supposedly yeah. so I always I mean, think about that like I have a friend who was at college with them ask me anything after the podcast um, <laughs> but yeah it's oh. I've uh, got to I'm I don't care about the royal family sorry no offense but my mom no, and a couple I of my sisters are obsessed like right. obsessed Theo just like endless beep this out because we gotta know the beat <laughs> yeah yeah, That's I'm, better than cutting it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working class mining village. Like, we're, not, we're not royal people. Yeah. Um, His car factory's down the road. No, the yeah. drone is outside the window. Whenever I see, like, I'm not particularly patriotic uh, because, you know, Trump, et cetera, and other American bad things. How dare you? But, yeah, I'm a dual citizen now. You offend me on all levels. So, like, but whenever I see, like, uh, a tabloid magazine with the English royal family, I'm like, we fought a fucking war to not have to care about this. This is what being an American's about. Yeah. Like, and I spent a lot of money to get the fuck away. So, you know, right. like, that visa was not free. Like, my green card was not not for nothing. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel that. I understand. I know people who woke up in the crack of dawn or in the middle of the night or something to watch the royal wedding. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. My parents uh, had the day off work because it was a national holiday in the UK and they used it to travel to New York to visit me. So I was oh. like, thank you. We're on the right side of this we're yes. on the correct side of this uh so it was it was fine wow but yeah the, the fanfic thing is is real and wild uh the kissing booth uh movie i didn't book series and movie i don't know if mm -hmm. you've seen that it's a netflix movie series it's ya i've seen the ads yeah i mean it's, it's super fun but it was uh, the kissing booth was a wattpad novel mm -hmm. uh written by beth Rickles, and she i think was 15 when she wrote the first book wow and it just wow. was hugely successful on wattpad and became a book and became now this huge Netflix movie franchise with uh, Joey King. So it's it's there, it's real, it's wildly insane. Um, but Kissing Booth wasn't like fanfic as in it was inspired by something else, but right. it was that thing where it came from Wattpad and then transitioned into um, traditional publishing. But it's still like for every 1,000 books that get self-published, like maybe one right. ma makes it for want of a better mm -hmm. definition. You still really traditionally want to go the traditional route if you're planning to make a career out of it. Yeah. I guess the point of my question was, do you find the greater influence of fanfic, which is a largely, like, it's dominated by women and non-binary people and mm -hmm. gender non-conform, like, it's just yeah. not male-dominated, let's phrase it yeah. like that. Do you, 
see that as having a sort of equalizing effect on traditional publishing at all? It will be if it breaks through. And Mm. the problem is so much of it is still dismissed out of hand. And it really has to be that, oh, this book has a million views before anyone will look at it and take it seriously. And that is straight up misogyny, uh, largely. Uh, And like you say, yeah, fanfic was seen as the realm of teenage girls. And then also like, you know, retired women. So it was like Mm. old women and teenage girls, two areas of the population that are not kindly looked upon by but the patriarchy let's say right so please i've managed to get that in it's not a day with a y in it if i can't bash the patriarchy (laughs) but um no i mean it it is something that that's what you think of when you think of fanfic you think it's like old nanas sat writing bodice rippers in their bedroom on a you know on a notepad eating bonbons and you think of teenage girls writing about how much they love Harry Styles you know Edward or anyone you know and it's like well that's all well and good when I was a teen I wrote Lord of the Rings fan fiction and that's all I'm gonna say Jackie magical I'd like to read that I have no I don't know was it steamy (laughs) steam writing off the charts I was literally like probably 13 so no I've known so. you for 13 years and you kept this from me. That is wild. Never told you did anyone. You tell me you baked Lambus bread, so that's... Uh, yeah, you should have known. <laughs> I guess, yeah. It's it's such a great space to be in. And, like, what amazing training wheels when you're trying to find your voice as a writer. Like, mm. someone's given you a world to play in. Right. And you can just go and take those characters and, and find your voice and find adventures. And I think fanfic is amazing. I think it's, like, such a cool thing to do. Like, when people are like, oh, it's so embarrassing, I wrote fanfic. I'm like, no, that's amazing. Like anyone that's written anything, anyone that spends their time writing, like I'm impressed because writing is hard. Like people think writing is just sitting at a computer going la 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 la. It's actually really difficult. Um, So to do it for fun is like a real, it's a real test of character. Also, most of Shakespeare's stuff is fanfic. Right. I mean, like most of it. He definitely was influenced heavily by a lot of other people. We know that to be true. I think it's so snobby. It's just rude honestly and lazy and reductive to say write off fanfic and write off self-published work because just because the gatekeeper on the day didn't say it was good enough to get made into paper by that man like no you don't get to say what's good and what isn't like Mm -hmm. everything's subjective everything's relative I've read amazing fanfic. I am a big pro wrestling fan, and I will have you know there is oh, some we know. pretty impressive <laughs> pro wrestling fanfic out there. That, oh wow! I mean Bridget Jones, which we talked about, is fanfic, and that yeah, was right, huge. exactly. It's, yeah. it's literally yeah. a Pride and Prejudice AU. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I just think it's such a rich world. Um, someone once sent me there was an I Heart New York, which was my first novel. Mm. I Heart New York Twilight crossover fanfic, <gasps> and I was like maybe the most proud I've ever been (laughs) yeah Yeah. honestly like so honored and it was about Rosalie they recast Angela who is the lead in the iHeart series as Rosalie and she moved to New York after breaking up with Emmett and she's still a rom-com adventures but she was still a vampire (laughs) it was amazing I'm like I wish I had thought of this like who cares if you get published if someone writes fanfic about you you have made it greatest honor of not about you but about your books I mean I'll take it about me I I don't leave my house anymore so like it would have to be fanfic basically exactly right yeah Maybe your husband can think of some. Maybe we'll get fanfic about us someday, Jackie and Theo. About the podcast? Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, so just the Fifty Shades thing. Like, So we have um, our little Patreon exclusives that we're trying to do or like books that you wouldn't talk about in like a high school literature class or books that we wouldn't normally mm-hmm. do on the regular podcast. And I was like, we got to do Fifty Shades, right? Like, mm-hmm. that'll be hilarious. You do. Is that elitist mm-hmm. of me? Because, you know, we talked about I like, everyone's like, oh, erotica silly. 
Some of it is silly. I hear Fifty Shades is silly. I don't My know. My issue with it is Fifty Shades fucking sucks. Um, I'm really good. sorry. Okay. Like, I was like, am I being a, a dick by it's, saying no, it's not a good bet? <laughs> I know the BDSM community doesn't like Fifty Shades of Grey. I know that like erotica writers don't like Fifty Shades of Grey. I did so much research into that book when I wrote that article and I read all three of the books in the series and I interviewed a bunch of different erotica writers and I took a course and I talked to psychologists and I talked to people in the community and I talked to literally as many humans as I could to try and find mm. someone who would defend it and the only person who was prepared to go on record <laughs> defend it was my friend's roommate who doesn't read and that was her definition mm. not mine she was like well you know I don't really read I pick up a book at the airport to read every year and I loved it I thought it was amazing <laughs> and I'm like okay I'm well <laughs> and I'm glad that you enjoyed it and I'm glad that it contributed to your enjoyment of your mm. vacation and that genuinely makes me happy and I'm glad that it propped up publishing like it put money into its publisher's pocket it's right for right. years like I know mm-hmm. so many books that got published because of the 50 shades mm-hmm. money and not just erotica books not books that were like 50 shades but that suddenly all of the imprints had an inflow of cash mm-hmm. that they weren't expecting so they could publish books that they loved that they might not have been able to love um publish before that's a good point that's great yeah. but the book yeah. is not well it sounds good. like it's more it's more <laughs> like it's giving other works in the same genre a bad name like because yes, they know yes, the most exactly. famous one and you're like oh then it's all silly and gross <laughs> yeah, and I would say if you like Fifty Shades of Grey, you want something Fifty Shades of Grey similar. Um, there was an author called Sylvia Day who had a book and a series called, I think it was Bear to, Bear to You or Bear to Me. I can't remember. I think it was Bear to You. Um, and that's a series about a damaged billionaire and a woman who goes to work for a damaged billionaire. And I met with her at an event and she was lovely. And uh, I know so many people who love that book and that series. Mm-hmm. And I hate to talk poorly of authors. And I'm, I'm sure E.L. James is a perfectly fine person. But that the book is boring. And then there's boning in it. And like, yeah. that's it. It's like 18 pages about contracts. And then she bites her lip. I'm like, no, bad dog. Hit it on the nose with the newspaper. No, it's, it's not good. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Okay, so I won't feel so bad then about suggesting that we do that for a Patreon. She also, there's a Harry Potter fan fiction called My Immortal. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I haven't read it. Um, I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah. That's the other main thing Jackie wants us to cover on the Patreon. Nice. <laughs> well, it's because Rachel and I used to read it to each other in college and it was so funny. It's just a good memory for us. I don't know if anyone it's will like so it. It's so good. It was so funny. Yeah. We were roommates in college and we were also roommates in like a... They don't like me to call it a nerd summer camp, but it was. Uh, it, it was just like a summer program. Nerd summer <laughs> camp. That's how the three of us met. So we've known each other for a long-ish time now. What? 10? 13 years? Oh, or 13 years now. <laughs> this year, I did make a resolution, which I'm almost 30. I used to write a lot, and then I took a break because I went to law school and did a bunch of other stuff. And so my goal is to like finish a first draft of a book before I turn 30. So that's what I've been working on this year. Oh, that's wow. amazing. And that's like what I did. I just, mine was a New Year's resolution that I was like, and I never made New Year's resolutions, but I was like, <laughs> I want to try this. Mm. So I'm giving myself this year to do it. And I'm telling mm-hmm. myself like, it's okay if that's it's awesome. bad, just get it done. Yeah. Because that's what stops me all the time is that I've written some things in the past that I liked and I was like, that is actually good. 
But so now I feel whenever I'm going to write something, I think, well, what if I write it and it's not good? Okay, I'm the only one who's going to see that. But still, it stops me. So now I'm trying to say, like, all you have to do is finish it. Done is better than perfect. You get it yeah. done. Same for me. It's like, what if I'm not as good as I was when I was 22? Then I suck. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, I think the problem is, and this is something I experience every day because I have to do it for my job, is um, it's a career where you just become more and more and more worried about how crappy you are instead of more and more convinced that you're great every other job I ever had every day I was like I'm learning something about this job and I'm getting better at it and I'm pretty sure I nailed this one thing today mm. writing I will never get that I, yeah. I don't know yeah. many people who do I don't know that many authors who would say like yeah I nailed it I, I'm there now I can't get this wrong <laughs> young ones you know teenagers young ones or like much older ones yeah. But everyone in the middle is like, is this one good? I, I don't know if this one's good. This one might be terrible. This is the end of it all. What am I doing? I think we need to just get rid of the idea of good. What is good? Who knows? Exactly, like, exactly. And also like with the first draft, that someone said that to me once, but is that done is better than perfect mm -hmm. for a first draft. Because once you have a first draft, you have something to work from mm -hmm. and you can make it better. But until you have a first draft, you have nothing. Right. right. You know, that's your block of clay and then you'll mold it into whatever it's going to be. Yeah. And you can always publish it under a pseudonym like a lady. Yeah, exactly. I wish. I could publish under a pseudonym or not. I'm just assuming. Why couldn't you? I, because you just heard Lindsay talking about how it's a crapshoot. <laughs> but that's supposed to be a good story, I promise. Yeah. Like, honestly, that's a, it, you should totally try because yeah. Twilight got turned down. You know, it's like, yeah. how many copies of Harry Potter have been sold? Like, she's the richest yeah. woman in the world. Right. And yes. publishers said, no, thank you. Right. So, right. you know. And there are times when, like, you know, you know you'd want to write something and you're like, hmm. But my dad could read that, you know, not that mm. I'm going to write another Fifty Shades or anything close to that at all, but like literally anything that is a little bit dark, right? Or a little bit something that, you know, you, yeah. yeah, because I think like a lot of works of art do have darkness in them and they mm -hmm. can be messed up and that doesn't reflect on how you think. Yeah. Don't want your mom to be like, what's wrong? Didn't we give you enough love and attention? Yeah. <laughs> Why Didn't so we sad? raise you well? <laughs> I feel like my parents were thinking that anyway. So I'm like, I may as well be making money, you know? <laughs> if your parents and your family and like the people you're surrounded with aren't like artists or aren't in that world themselves, they're going to think it's a direct reflection of what you think. Yeah. No, <laughs> and absolutely. so that could stop you. And I'm like, I'm just going to publish under a pseudonym. You just have to get past it. It, it sounds really dumb. But um, when my first book came out, my nan was still with us and she read up till the part where the lead character was offered 50 bucks for a blowjob in Union Square, which was a joke. Um, she was like, well, I read it up until she sat on that bench in the park. And oh, I knew no. exactly. And I was like, oh. And, she, and then I read the end. And I think it's not for me, but it was very good. It's <laughs> like, thank you. That's like the best I could hope for here. Wow. Um, and you will get every reaction. That's the thing. Like my brother for years was just like, oh, I'm mortified that my name is on these books. His name is Lindsay Kelk. <laughs> His name is also Lindsay Kelk. Um, no, it's like, you know, he's a very serious guy who is, you know, uh -huh. reads very serious books. Uh -huh. And then suddenly his little sister is publishing books with kissing in it that have mm. been given pink covers. Um, and it was mortifying for him, uh, apparently. But, you know, I know he's actually proud that I'm doing it. I know he's proud uh -huh. that I'm writing for a living when it's what I want to do. It's just not for him. You just you have to you just have to separate yourself from it. Yeah. And then there's the people that will be shitty about it, you know, because there's always going to be someone that's like, oh, you wrote that. Yeah. I would only write this. And it's like, well, you go do that yeah. uh, and yeah. let me know when you did. Yeah. And we'll have a conversation then. There's so many ways <laughs> that people will just find to be shitty to each other. Like I can even think just exactly. so not to go into it forever. But like so in my field, like I, I'm a genetic counselor and I know so many genetic counselors look down on other genetic counselors who work like in a lab setting or, or for a company or something. 
And if you're not doing the direct clinical face-to-face patient stuff, they're like, wow, you sold out, you're, you don't care, you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, you're allowed to, it's just a job. Just do, just do your job. Like you're allowed to do your version of it and it's no one else's business, whether that's writing or anything else in life. And there will always be someone that tries to make you feel like what your version of it is not as good as their version of it. And those people can politely leave the room some people are assholes we've come full there circle we go. some people yeah. are assholes yeah. i had um a couple of like breaking the ice questions that obviously we don't need now but um i kind of <laughs> wanted to ask them anyway just because i think they're funny if that's okay so i asked my sister who has a niece so her husband's niece um she's six years old her name is Jade. And I thought, okay, so Lindsay Kelp wears a lot of hats. Like she has this wrestling podcast. She like is a makeup expert. She's a writer. Makeup lover. Unprofessional makeup lover. Yeah, like, let's not call it <laughs> an expert. Let's enthusiast. <laughs> makeup enthusiast. Yeah. Enthusiast is great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so I was like, you know, she's got all these different, all these different like little areas of interest and expertise or whatever, or or unprofessional enthusiasm or whatever you just called it. (laughs) Nails it. We nailed it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to ask just a couple of questions and I wanted them to be like accessible to all of our listeners who may not know anything about any of these topics. So I asked the six-year-old to come up with some questions. So here are her questions about wrestling. How do you know who wins? Uh, That's a very good question. One that has many answers. Uh, I mean, usually the best way to know who wins is who gets their hand raised at the end. Okay. But ultimately, is that a moral victory? I mean, that's mm. a bigger question. <laughs> in your professional opinion, as as an author, an editor, someone with 17 to 18 years of experience in the, in the publishing field, <laughs> why do books need pictures? <laughs> I mean, because words is really hard. Uh, <laughs> and pictures, I, as soon as I said that, like my picture book, author friends are going to... I know, I thought about that when you said it. I was like, this is going to be great later when I ask that. Don't take that personally, Oliver Jeffers. Your pictures are so hard. Um, They need pictures because we all need pictures. Sometimes you need pictures. That's why Theo had to watch the adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. He couldn't keep all the daughters straight in his head without seeing something. Totally fair. And when I watched the 2005 movie, I was like, wait, Kerry Mulligan's in this? Like, honestly, I was like, you've thrown me again. Because now I'm trying to remember their Pride and Prejudice names and their actor names are coming at me. And it's just all too much. It's all too much. Why did God make lipstick? So, like, as an atheist, um, (laughs) uh, let's believe that a supreme being made lipstick so that we could all choose to express ourselves uh, by whatever our favorite color is that day. Yeah. That's how I would explain lipstick to a six-year-old. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. What a great divine being. Yeah. (laughs) It's like they're normally just punishing us for everything, right? Punishing us for everything, but at least... He, she, or it gives us. Maybe today you want to wear red lipstick and that's that's up to you. And you can do that if that makes you feel better about yourself on that day. And that's the only reason to ever wear makeup is because you yeah. want to and it makes you feel good. Nice. <laughs> this is the first time Jackie's yeah. snapped on the pod. Because nice. I actually can't snap, so I kind of have to really try. <laughs> I appreciate I'll it. add in a snapping sound. Effect. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good thing then because originally when my sister asked her those questions, she goes to like this, this little girl goes to a private Christian school, I guess, and she was, originally all her questions started with, why does God? I could try, but I mean, my, my question would just be, why God? So <laughs> why I God? mean, that would really be, I have bigger problems. Yeah. <laughs> why God? Why did you make lipstick? <laughs> 
I mean, it does go off. So I mean, it's not like it was made perfect. Oh, I don't know. I've had a pair of li- uh, a pair of lipstick. What am I saying? I've had a pair of lips th- since high school that I've had around. Oh, I have a lipstick that I've had since senior year of high school. Yeah, we've all got makeup that's well past its expiry date, and we just choose to not think about it. And that's mm-hmm. a yeah. deal that we're all in on together. And that's okay. Right. Theo, okay. does that horrify you knowing that like every woman around you is wearing like what might be like 18 year old? Did you know that makeup had an expiration date? Uh, I, if you had asked me, I would have guessed yes, but I, I haven't <laughs> thought about it. But um, I mean, I don't know. I eat some expired foods a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with makeup, the only thing you really don't have that's super past the day is mascara. Mascara. Yeah, because you're going to give yourself the mites. Otherwise, I'm like, whatever. I have makeup that has sentimental value to me, so I'm going to keep that. And that's, and that's right. fine. <laughs> uh, rule of thumb is just like, if it smells... Don't put it on your face. Or has visible mold. <laughs> yeah, or don't eat it. Right. This is the thing. With lipstick, it's going on your mouth. You're going to consume some of it. If anything about it says, mm, not delicious, don't do not do it. Don't do it. <laughs> no, if it doesn't smell bad, just eat it. Yeah, it's fine. Huh. Yeah. I'm happy to chat about whatever, but I just, as long as we've covered everything that we need to talk about. Is there more stuff from Pride and Prejudice? Yeah, I guess this was kind of Pride and <laughs> Prejudice. talk light. about Pride and Prejudice, um, which is... Totally fine. I mean, one thing we talked about was like the way that Jane Austen kind of innovated this style of speaking. What did you call it, Rachel? It's like free and direct speech. Yeah, free and direct speech being in the third person, but getting the sense of the main character's thoughts through it. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that was an invention. I thought that's just how books are written, you know. So do you feel like there was anything about this book or about like Austen in general that has influenced your writing other than kind of like the tropes maybe in the and the Yeah, I think um, even if it wasn't something I could point to or something I would acknowledge, there's no way that I, as a female author that writes about relationships and contemporary women's lives, you know, I can't sit here and say that she didn't have an influence on my work because without Austin, I don't have work. You know, like that's Mm -hmm. that's the truth of the matter. And whether or not you're an Austin fan or whether or not you're a Pride and Prejudice fan, it has echoed down and it echoes really loudly. And we touched on Bridget Jones already. and, And, you know, most people, I think, I say most people, like I think a lot of people do know it's it's based on Pride and Prejudice, at least now, and that that has become such a big thing because like so many people will look back at Bridget Jones because now it's like, did it just have its 25th anniversary, I think? I think it's this year and people will say like, oh, that was the beginning of commercial women's fiction. That was the birth of mm. Chiclet as it's known now. You know, we had Bridget Jones, then you had the Shopaholic series and you had all those kinds of things that came along where you were just allowed to write about women's lives as they were now and have them be comic and have them be lighthearted and not have to be tragic or like you know show anything right. dark or and, and nobody has to get murdered maybe murdered maybe murdered maybe yeah. hiding away with their childhood friend like you know you don't have to do those <laughs> things you could just it, it just opened the door to being and those was being taken more seriously and by seriously I mean just like being acknowledged and marketed mm. and put out there and, and and really just registered. But to say it started with Bridget Jones is you, you can't because Bridget Jones exists because of Pride and Prejudice. Um, and it was a groundbreaking book because of that. And, you know, when you look back at those books and you look back at women authors, when you look back at the Bronte sisters, you know, and they're having to put their books out under male pseudonyms mm. because it's the only way you're allowed to be published. That's still a thing. J.K. Rowling had to publish, I mean, mm. the less said about 
certain people. But <laughs> to prove a point, like she had to publish her adult novel under a male name, mm-hmm. her crime novel, to be taken seriously. Well, also mm-hmm. J.K. Yeah, as opposed to Joanne. And J.K., exactly. And I know a bunch of authors, women uh, who do that now, like um, Callie Taylor is an author I know who publishes a C.L. Taylor. Mm-hmm. You know, someone at some point has said, if you want to publish a crime novel, you're going to get a bigger audience if we take the feminization of your name away. Mm-hmm. And that's bizarre to me today, but it also makes perfect sense to me today. And that yeah. does break my heart a little bit that we haven't moved on but to say that Jane Austen hasn't impacted women's fiction today especially mine where I'm like I'm writing about family dynamics and uh, family politics and society at large and expectations and the novel I just wrote like it talks a little bit about celebrity and our expectations of people and grief and how we manage our own grief but at the same time it is it's a rom-com like I've been it's coming out at the end of this year so I'm starting the sales pictures now because you know this is the part when you start selling it to the booksellers and that kind of stuff and I'm mm-hmm. having to summarize it and it's so hard to do because I'm like oh well, it's about this woman and she you know she lost her mom and she's in a sort of miserable relationship and she's kind of stuck in her life but it's hilarious yeah and this yeah. at the end I'm like and it's a comedy and then like yeah. the zoom cuts off because my minute is up and it's like oh my god I'm like I was supposed to start with it's a comedy um yeah. because you know it's like you're only supposed to be a thing and I think yeah Jane Austen what she did so beautifully is she wasn't pigeonholed she wasn't a thing she was mm. writing about everything yeah. and it was all relevant and it was all done with such a lightness of touch and mm. with such control. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's so smart. The fact that you yeah. read it now and it's still funny. Do you know it's how quickly right? humor dates? Yes. Do you know how quickly humor dates? Like, oh, that's the thing to me that's mind blowing. It's funny because when Rachel briefly summarized, I said, oh, why don't you tell me a little bit like a synopsis of Lindsay's book that you just read today? Um, or finished today. And she didn't tell me it's funny. All I knew was that, you know, this is romance. So she told me just little bits about like the plot, like this happens, this person meets this person. This is her job. This is a little bit of her history. This is a little bit. And I said, oh, so it's funny. I just like felt like it was funny without even knowing anything about the prose or... Thank God. Anything funny that happens. I was just like, that's hilarious that this grown woman takes a job producing a teenage boys podcast. Like, that's, that's so funny. That's my favorite part of the whole book. Yeah. <laughs> the indignity, the sheer indignity of having to do that. Like, that's painful. Yeah. I was going to tell Theo, it's basically a book about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except we are the little boys. Yeah. I mean, I know many producers that would not be able to um, produce a Snazzle Chuff podcast. So. I mean, a lot of respect for podcast producers. You're also a podcast producer. You have many years of experience on him, but we think he's doing a great Not job. Good. So, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I would never. I put that on the website basically to assume responsibility for the fact, not to like glorify my abilities. <laughs> no, I've, it sounds good. I've no, listened to it. Like, I <laughs> listened to it as well. I I will be completely honest. I have no idea what you're talking about with the wrestling. No, no, you don't. <laughs> it's I thought it was fun to listen to. Thank you. When I listened to it, it was one of those times when you just realize, whoa, like the world is so much bigger than I realized. Like yeah. there's so much about wrestling that I had no idea. Well, wrestling <laughs> yeah. is everything. That's why wrestling is so interesting because you can find yeah. anything in it that you're looking for. Like I did a podcast right. uh, recently with some wrestling fans and it, they were, they're romance fans and, and they wanted to talk about wrestling as romance mm. novel and, oh, wow. and as tropes because mm. wrestling uses tropes too. Um, mm. Or you can look at it from a p- politics. I have a friend who is a journalist um, and he was working on a series about why 
the 2020 election was wrestling and what you can look um, at wrestling and find in our former president's right. campaign style and the way he behaved and the way he runs his team. It's mm-hmm. like wrestling. He uses promos. He uses yeah. the language of wrestling. He ra- rallies the crowd the same as wrestling. And he was in wrestling. He's right. part right. of the wrestling universe. Right. Um, <laughs> it's all there. It's, it's, it's a fascinating industry, whether it's if you don't want to watch the show because it's not your jam. Like I fully understand why that is. For me, I find the industry of wrestling just fascinating. And the fact that people dedicate their lives and give up their bodies to the industry that gives them very little back. They don't get a lot for it. Right. You know, that's one of the episodes I listened to was talking about. Um, I can't remember the title of it, but just women wrestlers who have babies and how then like their wrestling career is over because having yeah. a baby is not a joke and wrestling is not a joke. And yeah. I was just so even though I didn't understand anything about wrestling, I was like, I like yeah. this conversation. No, it's yeah. wild. That's a real <laughs> yeah. thing. And I mean, it's happening more that women are leaving to have kids and coming back. And it's 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 not easy. And, you know, a lot of the fandom, a lot of the fan base of wrestling are not especially kind. And they'll say really yeah. shitty things about a woman who had a baby four months ago and is now in a ring. You know, I'm right. like... I'd like to see you do that. Um, I was like, and then we'll talk about whether or not you botched a suicide dive when you gave birth to a human, you know, like I, right. I same thing wild. with like, Oh, you published a book and it has a pink cover and it's about girls. Like, well, you try it. There we go. And there's a parallel yeah. between what I do and with wrestling and, and it really yeah. is there. It's like, it's an industry oh, that wow. people work really, really hard at and it's take years of experience, but it can be, easily yeah. written off by people who don't care to look deeper than mm-hmm. this is shiny and dumb. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I happen to like shiny, dumb things. It's really hard to make something look shiny and dumb. It, it yeah. takes a lot of work to make something look easy. <laughs> Dolly Parton. I'm assuming yeah. you watched that <laughs> that TV show about the wrestling team. Glow? Glow. Oh, Glow. I, I did. I watched Glow, yeah. Um, we interviewed a bunch of those girls, too, and they on Whoa. Tights and Fights, and they worked so hard. They worked so hard to make that look good. Yeah. And now they're all huge wrestling fans, which is amazing. That was a great show, too. Great show. That's like something where you think to yourself, I don't want to know a little bit about it because if I know a little bit, I'm going to start having to know a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Like it's such a, it's such a rabbit hole. A little bit of an aside. Do you know John Oliver? Because you're both British. Jackie, you're obsessed with John Oliver. Uh, I wish I did. I love him dearly. We have matching teenage uh, school photos. Every time he shows that school photo, it delights me because it's just so like my school photo. Yeah. I was like, oh, you guys are from the same country. You probably know each other. She's joking. Jackie's joking. I I mean, she could not be. I've lived here for 12 years and I have dealt with much sillier questions, uh, including do I know the Queen? Have I been to Buckingham Palace? And my favorite question for an American of and I am an American now I'm a dual citizen but my favorite question of all time from which, a fellow American <laughs> from a fellow American at a funeral they asked me if school in England was really like it is in Harry Potter and I just didn't really know where to go wow. with it in what sense I, <laughs> only in that all the staircases moved around yeah I was like well you did have to give a password to a painting to get into the home room but apart but from that it. yeah and then just obviously the witchcraft and wizardry yes but um, yeah. the rest of it no no uh, mysterious deaths in the underbelly of the school yeah I mean yeah. actually <laughs> 
<laughs> I come from a very strange village. Um, I feel like we could have a lot in common because I come from a town in North Carolina that the population is like 300 people. The restaurant is Subway. Nice. And it has nice. the worst name. It's called Bun. It's called Bun. B-U-N-N. And it's got a huge vulture problem, weirdly. Ah. So like, only time I think we've ever made national news was because um, oh, just God. a few months ago they had to install a large cannon on top of the high school to scare all the buzzards away because the town is just beset by... I mean, that's a YA novel waiting to happen. You realize that. One of you is obliged to write a YA novel about this. Jackie should write one. She worked in a pumpkin patch, too. That was her, like, high school job. That's yeah. romantic. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, Jackie. This is your burden to bear. This is... This, it is. Yeah. I, I was born for just this. the guy that you had a crush on in high school, just make him straight instead, and there's your romance yeah. novel. There you go. Yeah. There well, go. that would have been a whole different life for me, because I... Yeah. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. He knows he's gay. <laughs> he doesn't know I was in love with him. <laughs> well, it's about damn time. Like, that's all I have to it's say. It's like, I hope I don't want him to find out that he's gay, because only I know that. He doesn't If know I have to tell people that I wrote Lord of the Rings fanfic as a teen, you have to tell people you had a crush on a gay guy as a teen. It's Honestly, fair. he probably knows, because when he told me he was gay, my response was, are you sure you're not... <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Have you considered the options? But not that I don't support it, but there are choices, and I want you to know that. What about trying out a woman? <laughs> it's a rite of passage. We've all been there. It's a very important thing for a woman to go through. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, okay. Pride and Prejudice question. What are your takes on Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy as leads of, let's say, a rom-com today? They, they're perfect. Okay. Um, they Told really you, are. <laughs> yeah, no, I really do. I think they're perfect rom-com leads because, like I said, we, we touched on it a little bit where it's like when you read it now with an awareness of every every book that was written afterwards ever, it's like they're, they're clearly set up to be together. They're clearly set up to be the enemies to lovers, um, which we can only know now. I can't imagine what it must have been like reading it contemporaneously. <laughs> like, right. you're like, oh, I can't wait till <laughs> Emma comes out. You know, like, oh, her next novel. I mean, Elizabeth Bennet is such a smart character. You couldn't write her now because it would be too cliche. It's like, right. she's smart. Yeah. Uh, she's, you know, hot but doesn't know it. Like, that would be her Hollywood <laughs> title, right? And it's like, she loves books. It's like you're playing straight into a reader's hands. Right. Whenever you're trying to write a sympathetic or empathetic lead character for a rom-com, you want your readers to read that book and relate and identify and feel a kinship with your character. You want them to feel like they could be her or at least they understand exactly how she got to where she got to. Mm. And Elizabeth Bennet is like the prototype of that. She's she's all of us. Mm. Like she's mm -hmm. smart. She's a little bit awkward. She's like feels the weight of her family expectations. She loves books. She'll do anything for the people she loves. It's like you're rooting for Elizabeth all the way through. But you can also, like, feel her angst when you, she knows that she has been wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, oh, Lizzie, we've been such fools. How can we get ourselves <laughs> out of this? From a purely marketing and publishing perspective, she's a super savvy character. Right. I yeah. would be like, well done. Take this to the bank. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. Do you and think Jane Austen wrote her thinking, like, this is me? Or do you think she's just like, this is what every woman wants to be? I mean, I'm thinking back at the time she wasn't looking at what else had sold. You know, right. <laughs> like she's not looking at the TCM or the Nielsen charts for the year before and being like, I think I'll do a, a, a run on this. Because it was her first book, too. I think a lot of authors, especially their first book, 
they draw heavily on themselves for their lead character. I know I did. Um, it's something you're encouraged to do when you're writing and especially when you're starting out, it's like, write what you know and like take from yourself and make it feel real, make it feel authentic. I'm like, well, how can you delve that deeply into a character without understanding it? And exactly. You know, she wrote this when she was what, like 20, 21? There has to be so much of her in it in that there is so much of most writers in most characters and you tend to put your favorite characteristics of yourself you know in like in the characters you love Mm -hmm. but obviously you're also the terrible characters too that's that's one of the downsides of it people are like oh who is this person she's lizzie and she's mr collins i told you she split her personality (laughs) up into all five bennett daughters (laughs) yeah i mean she has to have to an extent because they're all her she she's the only one that wrote it but lizzie for sure i think you know she's your prototypical rom-com lead and darcy also like really set the stage that brooding hero who is has to earn your love but also like you know you have to be worthy of him he has to be worthy of you there's a lot of right. Jane Eyre stuff in there as well like it's the same it's a similar Mr. Rochester sort of situation oh, words are hard love is hard why does everybody have to be worthy of everybody <laughs> no I know I know it's like just get drunk and bone like everyone else I don't I, like get over it get over it people even Fifty Shades made it complicated as hell the contract people the contract unnecessary <laughs> but yeah I, they, they're such now they're such prototypical rom-com leads but when you look back when you strip all that away and you look at what she managed to achieve with she didn't have pride and prejudice to draw on because she wrote she literally wrote the book (laughs) you know like that's it she wrote the book on rom-coms and uh it's kind of amazing when you look back at it i wonder would you like to take some time to plug whatever works you would like to plug now we don't have as great of an audience as you already have on your other platforms but this is your chance to talk Uh, but my mom listens religiously so yeah (laughs) oh well hi theo's mom we are growing we are growing there you go there you go um yeah i i've written books (laughs) <laughs> I don't even want to go there. I've written some books and they're available. Um, my most recent book was In Case You Missed It, uh, which Rachel mentioned she has read. It's a rom-com. It's a book about not second chances really, but like worrying that life has passed you by mm-hmm. and trying to jump back on board and realizing where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be rather than worrying that the grass is always greener. So to me, that's what the book is about. And then I also have a children's series coming out here in the States really soon. And the first book in that series is out in April, and that's Cinders and Sparks, which is a retelling of the Cinderella story. I'm, I'm not going to say it's like a feminist retelling, but hi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just listened to me shout at you for 90 minutes, so I'm not going to say it's, it's not. It's a retelling by a feminist. <laughs> it's a retelling of Cinderella by a feminist. Yes, thank you. I'm not going to say it's an atheist version of Cinderella, but <laughs> yeah, right. let's just say God doesn't show up he's well <laughs> not by name so like, that's the thing. i'm not gonna say it's all about wrestling but there's some wrestling <laughs> i'm like is there a reference there's always a wrestling reference in my adult books yeah. uh i will say that but i think i did leave it out of cinders and sparks what what age range is that um it's middle grade so it's middle grade fiction yeah uh and it's illustrated and it's gorgeous and um it's one of the most fun things i ever got to write uh which is really really fun awesome. to work on so it's about cinders and her dog Sparks. Oh. Um, yes, her talking dog Sparks, who's obsessed with sausages, and therefore the fairy godmother Brian. Maybe I'll get that for my boyfriend's niece. Yeah. I mean, I maybe she'll enjoy it. I'm sure. I maybe I'll get it for my sister's husband's niece. <laughs> yeah. When when she's older. Theo can just get it for himself. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. again, <laughs> all ages can enjoy it. That's what I know. He loves talking dogs. <laughs> but yeah, so Cinders and Sparks. In case you miss it, they're going to be out, or they are out where you are now. And uh, I'm always on social media, not doing my job. Uh, at Lindsay Kelk everywhere if you want to come say hi and if you 
care about makeup at all or beauty in general, you can listen to full coverage. And if you care about professional wrestling, which if you care about professional wrestling, you you already know because that means you care about professional wrestling. But I have a wrestling podcast uh, that I co-host with two very good friends of mine called uh, Tights and Fights. So I like to keep busy. So that's where I am. I was going to say, how do you do anything else? Like, do you sleep? I do sleep. I sleep a lot. It's a miracle. I, I, they, write, I write quite fast. I think that's how I get away with it. Uh. I'm like a binge writer. So I will bang out like a lot of words at once. And then I have downtime, uh. which is when I do these things. Sort of like Mr. Bingley. Yes. Do you work on just one book at a time or do you, are you? I do on, by like, and large. Um, so with Cinder, when I was working on Cinders and I've written the first three, so I was writing Cinders while I was writing In Case You Missed It. I was doing those sort of simultaneously, but I kind of slipped, slipped it into the gaps because obviously you write a first draft, then it goes to edits and all those things. Oh, so I, I would write when I was on, on a break um, from the actual manuscripts. Um, I am working on some other stuff that I'm trying to fit in, but I find it really hard because it, being a binge writer is great because it means you write really quickly and then the books end up being really pacey and I can see in my own writing when I've written more slowly because it's the writing slows down mm. and the pace of it slows oh, down and my books are pretty quick. That's great, but it also means like it's really hard to get out of the mindset of it. Like I, yeah. It's so alive in my brain. I'm just starting a new book now and I've just finished one. I need a break to get out of the book I just finished before I can start the new one because yeah. those people sense. are still alive and they're not, you know, mm. like it's... <laughs> like it's <laughs> I mean, I, I suffer from anxiety and all those fun things. So I'm not saying it's similar to a mental illness <laughs> where you're like, I have a full world in my head. Ha ha. Mm. <laughs> but it is a little bit because i have to now kill those people and put them in a box not literally yeah did you ever get confused like not actually confused but you were you know maybe writing the children's book and you started putting in little bits of like sexual tension oh yeah absolutely i mean (laughs) cinders and sparks share some very longing looks uh no actually uh but i actually pushed back on there was a proposed romance plot for cinders and sparks from the editor and i pushed back and said no that's not where Cinder's energy should be going. Mm. She doesn't need a man. She does not need a man. She is Cinder's and she has a talking dog. <laughs> Spark says, there's only one bed here, Cinder's. <laughs> <laughs> there's three beds and they belong to the three bears. So uh, oh. it's a different world. It's a different world. <laughs> Do you have any book recommendations you'd like to make if someone wants something that kind of hits the same spots as Pride and Prejudice? Oh, honestly, um, I love books. <laughs> the worst recommender in the world because I read everything mm. and people are like, what are you reading? And then I say, this horrible thriller about an abused family. And my readers are so disappointed. Um, <laughs> I would say if you are looking for a smart, clever, funny rom-com about contemporary women's lives, uh, Vari McFarlane is a really good option. I love Vari. Her. Almost all of her books for me are five star and the ones that aren't are like four stars. <laughs> there we go. Vari's a really good friend of mine and she, I think she is... and. We're only still friends because I can barely tolerate how talented she is. Like, it offends me. Yeah. (laughs) She's so good. But yes, Vari McFarlane, absolutely. Just sparky, witty, smart, clever, funny rom-coms. Marion Keys, like the master. Mm. Uh, Marion Keys is great if you're looking for something that's like a little bit more involved and goes into family dynamics. Her last book, Grown Ups, definitely does that. There are just so many. I think we're in a really good space for rom-coms and for women's fiction right now. Like Holly Bourne, again, is an amazing one. If you like Vari's work, Holly Bourne is definitely one to look out for. Um, Daisy Buchanan just published a book in the UK called Insatiable, which is a rom-com and it's filthy, but it's fantastic. <laughs> I couldn't have guessed. Yeah, it's, 
it's so great uh, but it's like it's magical because it's being taken seriously and this is it's it's like a real game changer of a book for the uk because it's been published hardcover it has this Whoa. like gorgeous designed cover yeah it's like no we're not just writing it off as like a smutty paperback to be put in the airports it's like no it's a brilliantly well written book that happens to have sex in it like that's allowed we're allowed that now ladies um so it's a real watershed moment and i'm i'm thrilled for her because i think she's super talented and um the book is really good it's really well written so lots of options if you're looking for smart rom-coms right now this is great i'm excited they're getting more respect and they're getting published more and more frequently i think with like more thoughtfulness going into how things are being publicized and even just like what the covers look like. It's so important. It's so important because we literally do judge a book by its cover and like you should because that's the cover designer's job. Uh, Mm. But it's also sometimes the marketing message is not the same as what's on the inside of the book. Right. Okay, well, thank you so much. No, thank you. This was super fun. Maybe in the future, if you have another book coming out and we're covering something appropriate after we've had some other guests in between, perhaps. <laughs> oh, totally. If we no, honestly, you don't ask me because I will just start like calling you and being like, but when though? <laughs> okay, but please do. Yeah. We had a great time. Now that we've covered some groundwork with you, maybe we can have more targeted conversations yeah i mean you can try is all i'm gonna say i i'm not good but like you can try you write fast and you move fast and like this is why it was so funny thank you it was a concern she was so great don't you think guys she was she's really nice yeah it was she's funny she's on top of it i snapped again great guests great guest Mm -hmm. that was great and i think that's worth giving our entire podcast five stars for um, itunes right for her guest if nothing else then just for like the lovely just timbre of her voice yeah she's so nice i hope she had a fun time i had a fun time i hope you had a fun time audience and learned some things that was just a good conversation i forgot we were (laughs) recording and not just talking amongst ourselves okay rachel go ahead and do your thing All right, everyone. So that's been this week's episode of Fire the Cannon. That has been our second guest, Lindsay Kelk. You should read her book, any of her books. She has a lot. In case you missed it, I read it. I enjoyed it. It has a fun main character, has a fun male lead. Give it a shot. Support us by supporting her. Also, you can support us by going to our patreon.com slash fire the cannon. We have a Kofi if you want to throw us a couple dollars to buy a coffee ko-fi.com slash fire the cannon is but it? not the Theo he doesn't drink coffee he doesn't drink coffee or alcohol heck nah we don't know how Theo survives honestly uh Theo avoids all stimulants and depressants the trick is just to be really anxious all the time <laughs> and tired <laughs> never relax <laughs> never be awake okay we have a Facebook group fire the cannon podcast you can email us with any complaints, criticisms, compliments, gmail.com. Yeah, no, just go to gmail.com. Type that in. Send all your complaints. <laughs> go to gmail.com. You'll find us. We're there. Is, what is it? Fire yeah. the Cannon Podcast? <laughs> it's firethecannonpodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, which is www.firethecannonpod.com, and we have a feature through there where you can send us a little form email, communicate with yeah, us. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We're still a small enough podcast that every little bit of information is precious. Yeah. So get in while the getting's good. Yeah, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Please. Um, I know we desperate. hammer that in all the time, but yeah. Like it, it does make a difference. Don't know why, but it does. Oh, well, 
want the reviews. Okay, we loved having Lindsay on. If you listen to our podcast, maybe we'll have her back. <laughs> Wait, why am I saying that at the end of the episode? <laughs> Can we do a thank you to our international listeners? Yeah, girl. Belgium, I think we should do, because we actually have a lot of Belgian listeners. This week, we would like to thank our listeners in Belgium. Top exports, chemicals, machinery, and equipment. That's vague. Belgians, what are you up to? <laughs> chemicals. Okay. <laughs> chemicals. <laughs> and we would also like to thank our listeners in Australia. <laughs> Go on, Thea. Uh, top exports, agriculture, and energy industry. Mm. <laughs> I'm getting all of these from just random websites, like whatever comes up first on Google. So I'm sure it's wrong and it's like really not consistent. It's not like our listeners are going to get mad. They're going to be like, excuse me, I'm Belgian. I've never exported a chemical in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, are you telling me you don't breathe carbon dioxide, Belgians? I kind of want to particularly call out. We're not calling out. We're thinking. I want to be like, hello, Portuguese person who listens. Yeah, that's you. You're the only one. We know all about it. You've only listened to five episodes, but keep going. You told me not to do that with the Ukrainian. Well, we have enough listeners now. We can afford to creep one of them out. What? (laughs) We see you. You're looking good. You're looking good over there. I saw you just look over your shoulder just then. Don't act so shocked. (laughs) So should we stop this recording? We need to finish up the podcast, doi. Didn't we finish it? No. Uh, did we say Anel? Yeah. Bye now. Oh, we should have had Lindsay say bye now. Damn it. Jackie, you say it in a British accent. Bye now. Bye now. Bye now. I don't know what that was. That was so hard. Goodbye, Nell. Nell. Governor.